everyone, this is Chris Edwards with the Fairpole Podcast, reminding you that today's episode is brought to you by Restaurant.com. With Restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire, and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner has never been easier than with Restaurant.com. Used for dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Now, Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com forward slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com forward slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. Restaurant.com, the best deal every meal. Stay tuned. We've got another great episode of the Fairpole Podcast coming your way right now. Welcome, everyone, to another installment of the Fair Poll Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Edwards. Thanks so much for dropping by, hanging out, and spending a few minutes with me this week as we talk about baseball. Boy, offseason already off to a great start. Hope that you were like me and already eyeing the start of another baseball season. We had a really nice conversation with, a, with my pal Joe Seal last week as we talked about his podcast, Secondary Lead, and the great stuff that he's doing on his podcast as it relates to the life and times of Ken Caminetti. Hope that you enjoyed that conversation. Have another really fun baseball conversation for you today as we visit with Brooks Webb, who's the director of baseball operations for Vanderbilt Baseball. Obviously, uh, Vanderbilt has become a national powerhouse on the collegiate level, and we'll talk to Brooks about his baseball journey and how he got involved in baseball and what ultimately led him to Vanderbilt and just college baseball as a whole at Brooks's level. So really fun conversation as we dive deep into college baseball with Brooks Webb coming up in just a couple of moments. Before we get there, though, you remember last week as we opened up the podcast, talked about the origin of free agency in baseball and what a qualifying offer was. Well, I was thinking about it this week. A lot of times the baseball offseason is called the hot stove, and I'm not sure how many people know the origin of the term hot stove. And the origin actually dates back to the early days of baseball. Hot stove season referred to an actual baseball season. There were hot stove leagues in which Major League Baseball players would stay in shape by playing baseball in their hometowns while staying warm with actual hot stoves because there was not the central heat, obviously, that we have in our homes now. So they would gather around a hot stove to uh, become warm and stay warm. Now, that term eventually expanded to become kind of a predecessor to the water cooler, on a cold day, fans would gather around the hot stove to discuss their favorite team and what was going on on the day-to-day with their favorite team. Now, the hot stove now currently refers to the Major League Baseball offseason, but in particular, the time around the winter meetings when free agent signings and trades seem to be the most prevalent. Obviously, we're seeing more and more free agent signings over the last couple of years and might see those a little bit more as the baseball season starts to uh, creep a little closer. The offseason really gets underway now. We'll see if that uh, certainly changes but what I really miss and I know that there are still some of these around the country are the current hot stove leagues uh, in the offseason sometimes around January February you always see these hot stove leagues pop up uh, where everyone will get together and there'll be a, a keynote speaker and a dinner and they'll 
get together and just talk baseball and hand out uh, local awards. That, to me, is still one of the great local traditions about baseball are those hot stove dinners and hot stove leagues. I uh, love my time when I've been able to go to the ones close to me here in the Raleigh area and hope that those continue throughout the country for years to come. So that's a brief synopsis and history of the term hot stove and where it comes from. But without any further ado, I want to say hello to our friend Brooks Webb, who again is the Director of Baseball Operations for Vanderbilt Baseball, and welcome him to the podcast. Brooks, thanks so much for the time, and welcome to the Fair Pole Podcast. Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on. Let's start at the beginning. I guess this is an easy place to start for everybody. Uh, I think most everyone associated with the game of baseball has a moment or a memory where they fell in love with baseball. When was that moment for you? I think that moment of really falling in love with the game, um, you know, I would say I got involved playing at, at a very young age, and it was kind of at the at the push of my mom. You know, I've, I've kind of referred to her as the uh, – the consummate baseball mom for a long period of time and any success and and even the failures in the game along the way, she's always been the one that has been there. And and my dad um, was a great athlete kind of in his own right. So I got to, you know, grow up watching him be really good at golf and, you know, playing on some work softball teams and got to see him compete in those kind of things. But he worked a lot when I was younger. So for, for me, it was always my mom and I driving to games and uh, she would, you know, front toss to me in the batting cage and she would catch when I was learning how to pitch. And I just remember her wanting me to be great, even if that was, you know, never playing past high school or playing in college or playing in the big leagues. She just wanted me to enjoy the game and be great. So I think that was, um, you know, I'd say falling in love with the game, I I think started with her and just her affinity for it too. Um, I think a lot of people ask me, like, you know, where does the name Brooks come from? And, and a lot of, you know, older folks have said it must be after Brooks Robinson. And and it, it was not, actually. But um, I do think that my mom was always a baseball fan and, and wanted me to be involved with the game. So, really, uh, I would have to credit her for, you know, the passion that I grew from a young age um, with the game of baseball. You pitched in college. Did there become a time where you couldn't throw to your mom because you were throwing too hard? It's funny. It's it's funny you ask that because she and I talk about that a lot. So she used to, she used to sit on a bucket, um, a bucket of baseballs, and we would throw in the front yard. And and she tells me the story. I don't remember it as well as she did, but the moment where she realized, okay, I'm going to have to get him pitching lessons because I can't catch him anymore. And um, you know, I didn't throw super hard, but I'm sure you know there comes a time where uh, where a mother. Uh, you know, advances past that, you know, physical ability to catch her 12 or 13 year old son. And I don't remember the age when that happened, but I do kind of distinctly remember, you know, her taking the glove off of her hand and and kind of making a, you know, a a wincing face where I was like, okay, you know, this is probably not going to be a a memory we get to continue to share much longer, but I can still think about, um, you know, all those times and fortunate to still have her, you know, with us today and um, just her driving me to those lessons and, I was never one that, you know, it took me a better part of my college career and even into my professional career a little bit to develop consistent habits and and a work ethic. I was always very competitive and I loved winning, but I didn't always like the things that went into doing that consistently. And um, I will never forget some of the lessons that, you know, she taught me and my dad taught me. You know, I got to watch him work a lot. He works in the car business and, and still works a ton of hours to this day. So he taught me about work, but she was always the one with the reaffirming messages and, and kind of 
words of encouragement, whether I was out on the mound in the game and she's yelling out things that she heard a coach say in a lesson or those type of things. Um, but yeah, I, I owe a lot of, a lot of gratitude for her to, you know, putting me kind of on the path to, to stay in the game for as long as I have. As we mentioned, you pitched in college, pitched at Birmingham Southern. Uh, take me through your recruiting process and why they ended up being the right fit for you. Yeah, um, so I kind of was I was that fringe, you know, I think that fringe player, and I, I talk to kids all the time at you know, different camps and things like that that are, I think, in the same position that I was where I didn't necessarily know where my talent fit. You know, I think I was that fringe Division One player when I was healthy, and ended up, you know, going to Birmingham Southern, which is a has been built into a very good Division Three program. And I got hurt. I guess it was my sophomore year of high school, right when kind of my recruitment process was starting, and I was starting to get some interest from some smaller Division One schools in the Southeast, being from Birmingham. And um, I had locked in on Birmingham Southern as an option, you know, when I was a freshman or a sophomore because it was a, a very good academic school, and they were Division One at the time. And I really thought a lot of Coach Shoup, um, who just retired at UAB, but, you know, he was there at the time. They had won a national championship in the NAIA, and I was very excited about that being a possibility. And then I got hurt, and then I started questioning, you know, was college baseball even, a, you know, an opportunity for me? And, um, you know, I've always kind of been that guy that, you know, realizes that, you know, nothing is a coincidence. You know, God works in really mysterious ways to me, even when you don't realize kind of what's at play. And while I was injured and kind of rehabbing and in that in that thought of where do I go from here as a baseball player, uh, Birmingham Southern made the decision to drop down from Division One to Division Three. They hired a head coach from the University of Kentucky uh, who came in, uh, Jan Weisberg. He's now, you know, he's my college coach for four years, but I would consider him to be a very close friend and one of my greatest mentors, but um, decided that, okay, this school that I had thought for such a long period of time would be a perfect fit could still be a perfect fit for my situation and uh, went on a visit and uh, really fell in love with the campus right away, but really fell in love with Coach Weisberg and his vision for taking a program that had been, you know, great historically for a long period of time. There's a great baseball lineage of uh, coaches and players that have come out of there, and he just wanted to continue to build that really from a foundation that had nothing other than history because the whole team had left. I mean, he was building the team from scratch. So there was something exciting about getting to be a part of that, and um, it was tough. Uh, it was a tough four years because we weren't able to compete for a championship and uh, just based on the NCAA rules at the time. But I think back to so many memories along the way, Chris, and even times where I thought about because I was I was injured for you know probably a year, year and a half of my college career, and I was a you know I was a an average player to begin with. I tell people that all the time. So I thought about you know stepping away from the game and just trying to be a student. And I, I got to talk to the team, uh, to the Birmingham Southern team, actually over quarantine when they were doing some leadership meetings. And I remember referencing that specific moment where I kind of made the decision that I was going to quit the team. And I think about how that decision that never came to fruition, how it could have just rewritten, you know, my path and the relationships that I've made and my friendships and uh, my wife and I and the, the things that one small decision that seems like um, – it's based in all of the wrong things, but at the time seems right, can rewrite what your future looks like. So if I hadn't had those four years, if I hadn't been around those people and around a bunch of just quality individuals, but also a lot of really good baseball people, 
both the coaches and the guys I played with, um, you know, that really set the foundation for, I would say, learning the game at a high level, but also kind of learning and trying to implement to my own personal life what it took to make that team be so successful. You know, I'm glad you brought up the transition from Division One to Division Three because I think every kid has aspirations of going to play at a big-time Division One school with all the bright lights. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on the competition difference between Division One and Division Two, II, Division Three. In my experiences, it's just as good athletically, if not better, depending on the matchup that you get some nights. 100%. Uh, I would say there are a lot of players in Division One that should not be in Division One, and then there are a lot of players in Division Two and Division Three that probably should trade places with some of those Division One players. And there's so many factors that go into the recruitment of a student athlete, you know, area of the country, what summer organization you play for, the high school program you play for, all of those things that we all know. And some kids, you know, blossom so late in the game that they're just unable to really get in front of, you know, the right set of eyes. I was, I was lucky that in that, you know, kind of those foundational years that we had in building that team, you know, Coach Weisberg, Coach Breezy, um, you know, both uh, Coach Breezy was the recruiting coordinator at the time. He's now the head coach at Center College, uh, Division Three school in the same conference in Kentucky. And the pitching coach at the time was Tyler Shrout, who's now at Sanford University at the Division One level. And they're, they're a, you know, a mid-major powerhouse type program. They were obviously incredible evaluators because I think of that, team that I played with for four years, there were three guys who went on to be drafted, which just doesn't really happen at the Division three level. You just don't see, you'll see one every couple of years from the programs that are kind of in that elite tier, but you don't see that level of consistency. And I think they've had two or three more that have come out of there since I've left in the draft. So I think that you're going to see more and more of that, especially too, Chris, as you see kind of what we're going through um, at the you know at the Division One level right now with just uh, everything that's happened with quarantine and larger rosters and when you really look at the landscape and you see some of the development that takes place at the smaller schools you know quote unquote smaller schools you realize that development is development you can get on that path to professional baseball just look across big league rosters right now and you're going to see guys from all over the country at varying schools from Vanderbilt, Duke, or UCLA, all the way down to, you know, schools like Sanford. And, you know, we know the, the schools like Coastal Carolina, that there is so much parity in this sport. I think that goes for Division One for certain. But you can also look at those Division Two and Division Three schools. And I know you've seen it because you, you live in the Triangle. And when I was there working with USA Baseball, going to the Division Two College World Series every year was one of my favorite things to do because – that is such a pure event. You know, those guys are playing, you know, it is televised in some capacity, but it's very different than Omaha. It's very different from the Division One College World Series. But you could make a real argument that the, the team elements that go into that event and a lot of the top-end talent is probably just as fun to watch in a lot of ways. So I think you can, um, you can definitely find the same level of competition you may not find the depth but you're going to find that same top end level of competition uh, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to ask any you know head coach across division one baseball I would hope they would tell you the same thing if they're being honest with themselves I'm glad you brought up the USA baseball stuff I wanted to get into that but for you when did you realize that working in baseball and whatever capacity it was was an option for you once you finished your college career 
I started looking pretty early on in my college career um, about, you know, what different career or field that I would want to be in. So I was, I was actually an accounting major, and I took, you know, two or three accounting classes and realized that if I had to do that for the rest of my life, I was going to be miserable. <laughs> so I wanted to pivot pretty quick and, and try to find out. I was more concerned with finding out what I didn't like than what I did like because <clears throat> I think – when you look when you look at the sports field specifically, not just baseball, there's so many things that you can do and and be a part of and try and, and you know feel like you're impacting the organization or the program or the team in so many ways. So I knew I wanted to be in sports probably I would say my junior year of college and I also felt that I needed competition in my life. You know, I've been described as a very competitive person since I was young and I've had to harness that in a lot of ways, for sure. But you know, that's the one thing I, I've always enjoyed being around is is leaders that push a high standard of excellence at all times. You know, I have needed that. I like to drive that, and the people that you know I have working side by side with me. And so I realized I wanted that competitive element of my daily, you know, my daily work. You know, my daily job. And what I found quickly working in sports is it's not work and it's not a job. Yes. There are elements of it that aren't fun, but if you were really passionate about working in sports, it did not feel like a job to you. And I figured that out pretty quickly after a few different internships and saying, like, hey, this doesn't feel like work. This doesn't feel like a job. And so I tried out, you know, things in, in, in college, media relations, marketing, ticketing, you know, seeing how you could get on that administrative path. And I really just wanted to, you know, position myself to say, okay, I can see myself doing this for five or ten years. Or I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life. So um, my first job coming out of college was with IMG uh, doing do, or providing, I would say, corporate sponsorship and hospitality opportunities at the University of South Alabama property. And I also got to do uh, some baseball play-by-play and analyst work while I was there uh, for the baseball program and I would say what that year, uh, year, year and a half taught me was so beneficial because it, it, it gave me kind of insight into a few things. I needed competition for sure, so that verified that for me. I was not built for an eight-to-five job, and I needed to be around the team every single day. And I wasn't getting that in that role, but it did show me, okay, this is the door that you need to find a way to open. But most importantly, it was you need to get back into baseball because that's your passion. And through, you know, that position with IMG, I had made a mutual connection to some of the leadership um, at USA Baseball and the COO, uh, David Perkins, who I think you know, he's now a a great friend and and mentor of mine, was kind enough to hop on a call with me through this connection, really as a courtesy, Chris, more than anything, or at least that's kind of how I saw it at the time. And uh, I essentially offered to to help USA Baseball in any way that I could remotely while I still worked for IMG. I did, you know, some media relations work, a little bit of scouting for the college national team, special projects, you know, you, you kind of name it. But um, I was able to go up and work an event with their staff. I guess it was in maybe July of 2012. And that was a big opportunity for me just to get in front of them you know, let them put a face with a name and, and try to add some value where I could doing, you know, team operations and some kind of in-stadium event operations uh, for the Prospect Classic, which I'm not sure if you remember that or not, but it pitted yeah. the, you remember that event? I do, yeah. 
Yeah, it was tremendous. It was the the 18U national team and the college national team. And I think that was the year that Carlos Rodon and Trey Turner were on the CNT. So there was a, a lot of local following. And, um, you know, a few months later, they had some restructuring and, and David called me and, and asked if I'd be interested in interviewing for some full-time roles there. And, um, you know, I definitely wouldn't be at Vanderbilt today if it wasn't for USA Baseball. I, I thought I had for a long period of time what I considered a dream job and would have taken something like, you know, being able to come here and work for Coach Corbin that uh, would have had me leave there. But uh, just some of the fondest memories of my life and, and definitely my professional career there uh, with USA Baseball. So in 2015 at USA Baseball, you promoted to Senior Director of Baseball Operations, and you had your hand in a lot of things from what I read. Do you feel like that experience really prepared you for the current role that you're in now? It, it definitely prepared me um, in some areas, and I think there's others that when I got here, it was a little bit of learn on the fly. I would say the college space and kind of the, the national team space, there are a lot of similarities. I think the biggest thing that I was able to bring from USA Baseball to here was just that daily expectation of a, a standard of excellence that you didn't necessarily have to, you don't have to talk about your goals. It's just one of those things where you come in every single day and, and everybody around you is working towards that same thing. And at USA Baseball, it was like that, and I think it's like that here at Vanderbilt. Um, from, a, from a team perspective, the, the situation at USA Baseball is so different, really from a relational aspect, because you spend every year kind of hitting the reset button at the end of the season. So you're working all year to find these players for the national team, and you're trying to build out what you want your program to look like and what you want your coaching staff to, to, to have, you know, this identity or that identity. And you, you really have three or four weeks to build your team, to select your team, to put in your philosophies as a pitching staff, offensively, defensively, hope you stay healthy, play your competition and, and compete for a gold medal. And then bam, it's over. And those kids go back home, you go back home, you hit the reset button and you start over again. So I really, I love the international baseball component of it. People that have never experienced international baseball don't know what they're missing. Like I think the World Baseball Classic is so much fun to watch and to see. And just when you get guys that are playing for their country, it's such a different level of competition. And you really can feel that when you're in it. But at the same time, for as much as I love that, I really, really disliked there not being any closure to a season, mm -hmm. not being any closure to even you know a win, but especially a loss, and how 15-year-olds handled that at the time, and even with your staff. And I, you know, I was a younger guy when I, you know, first started there. You know, in my, you know, my early 20s, and I wasn't at a place where I was able to just put losses behind me really quickly, especially when it's something as emotional as international competition. So what I do like about the college baseball experience, and it, it did help me, I think, coming here because I come from that kind of rip the Band-Aid off end of the season or end of the, you know, losing or winning spectrum is it's a, you know, it's a marathon, and it can feel like a sprint at times, but the season in college baseball is more like a marathon. And there are going to be ups and downs, and 
some of the teams that end up on top at the end or some of the teams that struggled in February and some of the teams that, you know, start off 20-0 and don't even make the postseason. But what I like the most about and what I've always placed the biggest emphasis on in, in where I draw really my joy from, from doing this is getting to be involved with the players and their lives and their daily growth every single day because the relationships with these USA baseball teams are so special because you're just kind of all in your own foxhole together. You're in an international country. Nobody likes your team and wants you to win, so all you have is each other. So it's kind of like, you know, going and playing, you know, in the SEC or the ACC on the road every weekend where you're not really going to have anyone cheering for you except for the other 40 people in your dugout, right? Um, But the recruiting process and getting to know these families and getting to know who they are as people, what they're involved with off the field, seeing the different socioeconomic backgrounds these kids come from, and, and then watching them show up here and in many cases be overwhelmed by the experience of the freshman and then you see the growth of the graduate or of the person who goes on to be drafted in the first round or be drafted in the 25th round and then continue to watch their career blossom and grow so i think of all the things that i I took from usa baseball that apply you know that cross over from there to here i would say that's the biggest one where um, i was craving that and that's what i really love most about you know the college baseball experience let me ask you about that experience in college baseball and the success that you guys have had the last several years winning national championships after getting to that mountaintop how do you stay hungry and keep it fresh and fight complacency from setting in well that's the you know that's the name of the game right i think any any organization any business any high performing place you know, has to find a way to quickly move on from successes and just continue to stay on the path that got them there. And, you know, everybody, everybody loves to throw around, throw around that word culture, right? Like, and it's such a buzzword to me. It always has been. And it's, I think, something that's just thrown around so recklessly of a coach coming in and saying, I've got to change the culture. I've got to change the culture. We're going to change the culture. Well, in this day and age, you know, that takes real time and the right people to build and establish. And, you know, it's like building a house, right? And you can't move into that house on day one and you're not going to be, you know, blasting out the people that you're building this new house because nobody wants to see a house while it's under construction. And I think what programs and what you see sometimes, what you see on social media, people think, oh, they've got a great culture. I know what their culture is. And it might be a small peek inside, but it's the people within the walls that are making this, I would say, daily set of micro decisions that really define what that program looks like. And it takes a long, long period of time before you can have that. So what I've always thought with teams, and and Coach Corbin, I think, is the very best at this, is when you can get your older group of players, and that does not have to be seniors, that can be some sophomores, that can be some juniors, but when you get the older guys on the team to simply teach the younger guys and kind of pull them along with them of how things are done, not on the field, but more importantly, just how to commit yourself to being a professional off the field, and you can find a way to get a group of individuals to just start choosing the group over themselves in everything they do, 
that's when the things on the field really just start to happen consistently, both in the training environment, both in the individual practice environment. And then I think that translates into the games just kind of inherently. So that's when I think you can finally start using that word. And, you know, Coach Corbin's been here since 2002. So what this place looked like then and what it looks like now is very different. But in many ways it's not because I think he takes on that same um, – posture and attitude every single day of we're going to earn everything all the time and just because we get a trophy at the end of the year doesn't change how we're going to approach the day um everybody wants that and thinks that winning just happens right away and it happens consistently when you do it once but when you can get those groups that operate at that fashion i think that's when winning becomes more of a byproduct of those behaviors than just saying, like, okay, these guys won a championship in 2019, so they're going to be in a position to do it in 2020. And, you know, Chris, Coach, Coach Corbin is such a, you know, I'd say unique way about how he built this, but also how he maintains this place. And he's, a, he's an educator before he's a coach. And I think any elite coach is also a great teacher, but when you can really buy into that value of how I educate and mold these players into – men and also baseball players, but how they can be great husbands, how they can be great fathers, how they can be great CEOs of companies one day. I think that's where his compass is pointed all the time, but he also has this ability to adapt and learn and make sure that no one, and I mean no one, has any opportunity to outwork him. I mean, the guy shows up every single day like you or I are coming to take his job and that he thinks it could be taken away tomorrow. And when you watch somebody set that standard for the student athletes and the staff every single day, think about how easy it is to just try to want to follow that person, work alongside that person and just try to start every day with that mindset, which causes you to start new every single day because it just doesn't give you time to rest and think back to, well, we did this, this, and this, so we just expect this, this, and this to happen. There, there's no opportunity to do that with him, and I think that's what keeps us all you know, centered, and we definitely celebrate it and enjoy it, and that team was so special, but when the behaviors are like that every day, I do think that it makes it very difficult for the players or the staff to look back and say, well, let's relish this a little bit more. It's like, no, it's time to turn the page, and this is a new group. And, yes, you know, there are some guys on last year's team and this year's team that were a part of that, but that's not going to mean anything when the bullets start flying in you know, February of 2021. Let me ask you about this Teamworks Baseball Softball Leadership Committee that was formed in 2019 that you're a part of. Give me a little insight into this committee and what you guys are hoping to accomplish. Well, that was a fun group. Um, so many good minds from, from baseball and softball that uh, I guess we got together uh, November of last year, you know, right before the season. And um, it was essentially just a group of you know, people from the sport to discuss, you know, best practices and how we felt that we could push the, you know, how we could push the sport together collectively as a group, but also with our staffs because you had, you know, you had people from Stanford and UCLA and Oklahoma and Texas, Georgia Tech, so programs that do have a voice and a tremendous reach and 
how could we take back things that would not only help our student-athletes, because that's what it's about, right? How can we make the experience better for these kids on a daily basis? That's why we all have jobs. That's why you get to call games on the radio and why we get to talk about the sport now and why every operations or support staff position, you know, gets paid a salary. And, and what was unique about that group is everybody was so student-athlete focused. It was not about their program or about themselves or just being on the committee. It was about how can we really leave here uh, with things that could move our sports forward. We talked a lot about name, image, and likeness, which there's so much cloudiness to come with that. Um, we talked about, you know, ways to become more efficient in travel, ways to become more efficient in the scheduling for the student-athletes. And then I think we talked, too, a lot about just, you know, upcoming legislation and things like the third assistant and those type of things. So a lot of healthy conversation and, and, and just um, when you get a chance to be around people that, you know, wear that same hat as you, it teaches you a lot of things because it makes you appreciate what you have in some ways. I think it makes you question how maybe there are some things that you do that you could do better or more effectively, but it also gives you these relationships where, you know, of that seven or eight person committee, I still talk to a lot of those folks on a routine basis once a week or a couple of times a month where it can just be a, hey, how's your fall going? Or it can be, hey, we ran into this. Have you run into it? So just so many things that came out of that weekend, you know, the people at Teamworks are, you know, that's a product that's revolutionized what everyone in college athletics is able to do in the uh, just the daily efficiencies of an organization, both for your staff and for your student athletes, how you can communicate, how you can teach, how you can schedule. So to be a part of that was, was a lot of fun. I guess a natural follow-up to that is what, what can college baseball do to continue to grow and become more visible? I think there are a lot of things we do well as a sport. You know, the third assistant is obviously the biggest one for me, uh, just based on, you know, I'm not going to sit here and hit you with a lot of statistics because I know you know them and mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of your listeners do too. But, and I don't speak to any of this as someone who works at Vanderbilt, more so just somebody who I would say cares deeply about the sport, whether I worked in it or not. You know, 11.7 scholarships I know is something that we've got to look at. Um, and I think that's directly, you know, tied to increasing the diversity in our game too. But, Back to the third assistant, you know, that's something that's, you know, very, it's, it's disappointing because the title in and of itself, it's misleading. And in a lot of ways, I think it's demeaning because when we think volunteer as a society, we think community service, helping for free, helping because we want to, those type of things. You know, these are coaches who work 80-hour weeks without a salary and benefits, so they're so far from the word volunteer and what the definition means, it's disappointing. And, like, our, our model and our structure, it's archaic in the sense that we have not scaled the sport with the growth and interest of the sport when you look at the broadcast numbers and the social media numbers and the following at some of these schools. So my biggest fear is that we continue to lose a lot of tremendous coaches and leaders to professional baseball that really will develop and impact the future of our game because – we're also, on that fifth side, keeping a lot of great people from wanting to enter college baseball to begin with when their playing careers are over or from maybe making the jump to high school to college. And that's, um, that's a slippery slope for, for this sport. And you talk about 
putting the hours in for these coaches that, you know, they go home to their family. In many cases, they have children, and you can't provide them with health benefits. They can't plan for their future through a 401K. I mean, we can't even get them tickets to school athletic events. And you talk, Chris, like I know for you, I'm sure there were a lot of people along the way that helped you in your broadcast career that you listened to, that you sought advice from and just watched and observed. Well, these guys can't go out and recruit. So how can we develop these coaches that can't do a, a skill that is asked of them and required of them to move into a full-time coaching position? Like those things just don't add up to me. I don't understand how we can develop coaches that we ask to develop the student athletes when they can't even fully develop themselves. And, you know, all of this interest, you know, there were so many, you know, so many positive things in the College World Series and the Women's College World Series in 2019 that we can't get a coaching staff of four people to take care of 35 athletes. It just doesn't seem right. You're, you never hear them complain. I've never talked to a volunteer that complains about their situation, no matter what the school. Um, but we've got no idea what they're going through behind closed doors. And we've all been in places financially that have been tough, you know, in different walks of life, myself included. But when you just put this on paper and you look at it, you're like, man, this is just common sense. Like, let's let that prevail here based on the numbers alone and the ratios. You know, one to, one to 12 coach to player, and that's not good enough. That's not good enough to continue to grow our game. So I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that, and uh, it's something that um, I try to speak out on any chance I get. But um, just wanting to grow the game in any way we can. I, I think that the scholarship issue, there's a lot of layers to it, a lot of layers to it. Um, but the diversity piece, you know, that's much less a college thing and more of a baseball thing. You know, less than, what, 3% of rosters in Major League Baseball had African-American players last year. And this is supposed to be our national pastime. So how can we continue to impact our communities? How can we continue to help grow the game at this grassroots level and make it where kids want to play college baseball just like they want to play college football and college basketball? And um, I know we have a very diverse roster, and that's intentional in a lot of ways in how we, you know, how we recruit in the areas of the country that we want to be in. But I also think that you know we, we don't want you know, our roster or Duke's roster or Michigan's roster to look any different than anybody else's. We want there to be opportunities for every kid who wants to play college baseball to, to get a chance to play. So just finding a way to work on those things, I think, um, are things where I would say the majority of the sport are, are wanting to push forward in that direction. But uh, I know we've got a lot of work to do. You know, getting back to the third assistant thing, and you talk about the ratio, the ratio is going to get even worse, I think, when you look over the next year or two because of so many kids getting elig- years of eligibility back and kids electing to come back. It, it is, and that's a, that's, a great, that's a great point, Chris, because when all of these decisions were made, and there were no easy decisions for conferences, for the NCAA, for the schools, everybody's in different, in different situations. Sure. But if we're not going to have any movement, you know, with that ability to pay an assistant, yet your roster's getting bigger, you're only furthering the problem. And then you run into the piece of, okay, well, if we're having to use camp income to pay this, pay this third assistant, to pay this quote-unquote volunteer coach, well, guess what hasn't happened for the last eight months? There haven't been any camps. And we don't know what that looks like uh, moving forward. So we're just continuing to make a big problem uh, even more visible. And 
I look around at schools across the country and see how people are spending money, and I just I sometimes step back and wonder, and it's not just baseball. There's other sports that can say this, too. You know, we have all of these things where money is being invested and, and uh, facilities are being built and, you know, all of these, you know, we all want to make money. And I think college football and college basketball coaches, they certainly earn that, but you, you see the inflation of some of these salaries and facilities across the board. And, you know, all we're asking for, you know, in some cases for some of these schools is just the opportunity to pay one salary, one salary and benefits and the opportunity to invest in their future. And I just think there's ways where we can get creative. And I'm sure most places find a way to, you know, there would be one gift from one person, one donor that wants to help a program that could help fund that position. I just think we're looking at it from, I think we're looking for all the, the reasons to not do it when we really can just get creative to find a way to do it. And, and you're right with every sport, but baseball and softball specifically with these inflated roster numbers, it is only going to be a problem that continues to, you know, continues to, to scream and continues to make people look at and say, how do we solve this? This is the last one. We could talk about this all. We could talk about baseball all day long, but this is the one I wrap up with everybody. It feels like a good, a good place to transition. I call this the Fair Poll Podcast, Brooks. I'm on this quest to change the baseball lexicon. As you know, the poll's in fair territory. Paul hits the poll. It's a fair bowl, not a foul ball. So are you on board with calling it the fair poll and not the foul poll? Uh, for 30 years, I have, uh, I've been on the, uh, the foul pole train, but because I like you, Chris, I think, I think that's an easy change for me to make verbally is just to start calling it the fair pole. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time, and I hope we can catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thanks again for, for your time, and I uh, hope we can cross paths here this spring. All right, Brooks, thank you so much. Always great to talk college baseball with Brooks Webb. Really appreciate his insight uh, into the game of college baseball, how the game has evolved. Loved his story as well, especially about how he talked about his mom being the one that really got him involved uh, with the game of baseball. I thought that was really cool. Brooks has a great perspective on baseball, having worked for USA Baseball and now for Coach Corbin at Vanderbilt and, and all the great success that Vanderbilt has had now with multiple national championships. So it was really fun to talk to Brooks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as well. If you're enjoying the conversation, please make sure you tell your friends about it. We would love if you if love it if you would just tell all your baseball friends, hey, there's this great podcast I know of. That's the best way that you can help us get the word out. Also, if you haven't done so already, please consider rating or reviewing the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And a subscription would also help us out a lot as well. So again, Thanks to Brooks Webb. Thanks to you so much for your continued support. If you'd like to interact with us, we're on Twitter at Fairpole Podcast. You can email fairpolepodcast at gmail.com. Also on Facebook, just search for Fairpole Podcast on Facebook, and you can connect with us on all of those uh, different platforms. Thanks so much for listening. Hope that you have a great week, and we look forward to talking to you next week right here on the Fairpole Podcast. <laughs>